You know, God invites us to prayer. God invites us to bring our needs to him. And that includes our illnesses. And you know, God responds to our illnesses in, in one of two ways. A lot of times he just gives us the strength and the endurance to walk through those illnesses. And we all know that sometimes those illnesses will, will take a person into God's presence. But the glory that shines out of that is the person's, the, the way the person trusted God even during that illness. And, and just uh, their life becomes a testimony to other people. But you know what? God also, at times, breaks into our world and does an astounding miracle. Heals somebody of a disease. And so it's that second kind of God's answering prayer that we're going to take just a moment to, uh, to hear a story about this morning. So I'm going to ask Dan Kissel. If Dan would just come, he's going to just uh, share with us uh, what God did in his life. Welcome, Dan, as he comes. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Yep. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all these smiling faces here. Well, I'd like to share a personal testimony on how Jesus healed me of prostate cancer through prayer. The story starts back in April of 2012. I had routine blood work done during a physical, and the PSA results came back at 4.8. PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen, and it's a test that measures the amount of PSA in a man's blood. A reading of 4.0 or less is considered normal, and a higher reading may be a sign of prostate cancer. So my PSA at 4.8 was a bit high. My doctor recommended that I see Dr. O, a urologist, which I did. He said that the only way to know if there is cancer is to do a biopsy. It took me a few months to uh, actually decide to go and do this biopsy. The procedure took 12 core samples of the prostate and the results showed that there was a small amount of cancer, but the urologist said that it was 100% treatable. I was hesitant on jumping into treatment, so I started doing some research and talking to other people about it. My next PSA test was done in November of 2013, and the results came back at 7.2. My primary doctor encouraged me you know, to do something about this. In June of 2014, I did go to Chicago Prostate Center for a volume study, which confirmed that the prostate uh, is enlarged. And they seemed very eager to have me sign up for their procedure, but I resisted because I wasn't really comfortable and I was lacking some information to make a, a decision. My next PSA was done in October of 2014 when I turned 60. The test results came back at 10.09. So clearly something was going on and I needed to start focusing on a solution here. So in June of this year, I went back to Chicago Prostate for another volume study and they confirmed that the prostate had not changed and it was still enlarged. And I suggested to the doctor that we do another biopsy since the last one was three years ago. The biopsy was scheduled for September and another PSA test was done and the results came back at 
Now for some good news, amen? <laughs> All right. So back in July, my friends from jail ministry, Steve and Pete, uh, they came by on a Friday evening to hang out, and they were both aware of my prostate issue. And Steve asked if he could pray for me. So we stood on my deck, and Steve asked that God would remove the cancer. In September, I was back at Chicago Prostate for a biopsy which took 42 core samples. The nurse called me later in the week and told me that there is no cancer. And I responded, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so Dr. O, he called me the following day to go over the results since he did both of these biopsies and he was really dumbfounded. He told me that the cancer is gone and I told him it was an answer to prayer and his response was very interesting. He said, I've heard of things like this. <laughs> he said that the area that had cancer three years ago, they specifically took 10 core samples of that area because they wanted to see the extent of the cancer, and they found nothing. So I give God thanks and praise for allowing me to experience his healing grace, and may this encourage you all in your walk with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks a lot. What a great um, testimony. What a great uh, thing to listen to as we begin Thanksgiving week. And we never want to put a lid on what God can do. Uh, limit what he can do. Whether he brings glory through walking with endurance through an illness, an issue, or whether he reaches down like he does at times and just heals our lives. Uh, praise God, praise God, give him thanks for, for all that he does. Well, this morning, um, we're going to focus on Thanksgiving in this message. Um, and we're going back to a guy named King David. Most of you have heard of King David, great, great, greatest king of Israel lived about 1,000 B.C. He uh, not only was a great leader, but he was also a great musician, a great singer. He was called the singer of Israel, the psalmist of Israel. He wrote many of the psalms, largest book of the Bible. And one of those great psalms that he wrote, Psalm 40. And we're going to take a look at the first three verses of that psalm this morning because David tells us about a time in his life when he was in a horrible situation. The best way he could describe it was like being stuck in a slimy, muddy, miry pit. But then he goes on to tell us how God brought him out of that horrible experience. And when he thought everything was lost, when it looked like hope was gone, life was over, and yet somehow, because he trusted God. God brought him out of that into a place of thanksgiving and joy and gratitude to God greater than he had ever had before. Now there's a quick outline of these verses we're gonna take a look at, and then we're gonna look into them a little more deeply. So the quick outline should be on the screen, goes like this. In verse number one of this Psalm, Psalm 40, David tells us the one thing that he did that we call it David's part. 
And then he goes on to describe God's responses to that. So here's what David did, verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And based on that one very important thing that David did in his trial, God responded in four ways. Here's how God responded. David says, he turned to me and heard my cry. Verse 2, he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And then verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise. We could say a hymn of gratitude and thanksgiving to our God. And then David ends uh, verse number 3 by saying this. Many will see and will fear, will be amazed and awestruck when they see how God delivered me. And they're going to be motivated to put their trust in him too. So what David is saying there is, in other words, what God did for David, he will also do for anyone who trusts him, who happens to find themselves in a horrible, slimy, miry pit, a horrible situation in life. So let's take a look to begin this this morning. Let's take a look at that, that very first line in this psalm. It's what David did when he was in the pit. And it's a really short statement. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, there is a lot of meaning packed into a couple of these words, and so we're gonna, we're gonna unpack them here. David spoke Hebrew, and that word that, he, that we translate in English, I waited for the Lord, that word comes, came from a, the painstaking, patient work of basket weaving, something that in the ancient world took a lot of time and a lot of patience. Today, I, get, I think it would probably be like uh, you know, people that sit down and quilt a blanket or people that sit and knit. They, they have all kinds of patience to see that project through. That's the, kind of, that's the use of this word right here. Now, you know, there's another kind of waiting that is mindless waiting. It's like when you go to a doctor's office and you have to sit out there for an hour to get in for your appointment. Or some of you are gonna be standing uh, on uh, Black Friday, you're gonna be standing in these horrendously long lines at the checkout counter, and you're gonna be in the one that you think is moving the quickest, and then all of a sudden you're gonna see this one over here. Wait a minute, they're moving. You're gonna switch lines, and then all of a sudden, I, I've had it happen to me, this one starts to pick up and move. So anyway, that's, it's just the waiting, we don't, we don't care for that kind. But the, the word that David's using here, it's a kind of waiting during which something is happening. Something is being accomplished. Circumstances are being weaved into a plan and a purpose. So it's a kind of waiting that has an expectation and a sense of outcome, a sense of purpose, progress involved in it. Now to make his point even stronger, David wrote this psalm in sort of an unusual way, that first line. He wrote, we don't see it in English, but in Hebrew, he wrote the word wait. He wrote it two times. What was he trying to do? He's trying to emphasize this point of waiting on the Lord. He was intensifying that verb. So if we were to read that Hebrew phrase literally, it would go something like this. I waited and I waited. Waiting, I waited. I kept on waiting. So David knew that he wasn't wasting time as he waited on God. 
but that God, even during his painful, painful time in a slimy pit, God was weaving a plan and a purpose. And you know what? That's the only thing that kept David from falling into that place that horrible pits will always take us to, the place of despair. That's the only thing that kept him out of that because he had a hope and an expectancy that even while he was there, God was at work. God was doing something. And so we go on. David describes God's first response to him while he was still in the pit. And this is what he, this is what he says. God turned to me and he heard my cry. Now, the Hebrew word for turned right there is the word that meant bowing down. And it's in a verb tense that is continuing action, not just bowing down one time. David is saying that the whole time, every single minute, every single second, he was in that horrible, miry pit that the Lord of all the heaven and the earth was bowed down to him, listening, hearing his cry for rescue and help. You know, Psalm 34, 15 says it this way. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, those that trust him. And I like this part. And his ears are open to their cry. Now, I wonder if David could feel God's presence when he was in that horrible situation. You know what? I doubt. I'll bet there were times when he was in that horrible place that he couldn't feel God's presence. His emotions were, they were, they were absorbed in all the pain and all the stuff he was going through. And there are times in our lives when we go through things that it's very normal. In fact, it's sort of the nature of a trial that when you get into the depths of it, sometimes you cannot feel God nearby. In fact, it feels like God is about a million miles away. It feels like God is maybe everywhere else except with you. So was it easy for David to keep waiting and waiting and trusting and trusting that God was hearing his prayer from the pit? Well, I don't think it was easy at all. David, you know, David tells us in Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3, about another horrible experience he went through, and I think it's similar to what he's describing here. In fact, listen to what he says, Psalm 69. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. You know that choking feeling that comes when you're full of anxiety? You can feel it right up here, choking you, almost literally. That's how David felt. And then he goes on and says, I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. So he had water up to his neck of anxiety, and then he's giving us this picture that underneath, it's like being out in water over his head. He, had, he was treading water. He had no solid ground underneath his feet. That's how he felt. He says, I have come into deep waters. The floods engulf me. And like, listen to this. I am worn out calling for help. I'm, I'm worn out praying. My throat is parched from praying. My eyes fail looking for my God. Where is God? Where is he? You know what that's telling us? That living a life of faith is not an easy thing. Because our minds and our emotions, in the midst of pain, want to cave in to a whole host of things. They want to cave into anger. They want to cave into bitterness and 
complaint, and they want to cave into fear and just plain old giving up. But here's the thing, and all the way through the scripture, again and again and again, here's, what, here's one of the main lessons of the scripture, is that faith in Jesus will push us to the limits. Faith in Christ will push us to the limits. You know, God is like a physical trainer. I remember a few years back, up at the fitness center there, when I was in sort of a six-month uh, intensive training with uh, one of the guys from the church here. Uh, he's a trainer, physical trainer. And um, I began on that step machine, <laughs> punch in the time, and then invariably, I'd get down to, you know, the se- only a few seconds left in the thing. I was dying, my feet, and my legs were like rubber. I mean, I, it was bad. Uh, and he would come up to me and say, okay, Jim, do you have another two minutes? <laughs> I-, I want him to strangle, <laughs> okay. <laughs> But you know what? That's a little bit like walking in faith. I'll tell you what. Faith, living a life of faith in Christ, in this kind of a world we live in, it will push you to your limits. You may feel like beyond your limits. Listen to what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says about this. In chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. I don't think those verses are up here. But he says this uh, to some Christians that were going through some tough times. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It will, re- it will be richly rewarded. Then he says this, you need to persevere. That means to endure. So uh, after you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. So even in the pit, the will of God is being worked out. It's being woven Though it's going to call upon you to give everything you've got to trusting Jesus Christ. There's another passage from 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter reminded people of faith. This is what he said. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Something unexpected. This is part of living a life of faith. Then he says this, but rejoice in as much as you are participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is finally revealed. So, have circumstances like that ever led you, have your circumstances ever led you to a a deep, miry pit, okay? I think every hand could go up in here. You know what? Some of you may feel like that's exactly where you're at this morning. But here's, what, here's something else David knew about waiting, 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 and waiting some more, and praying, and praying, and praying, and praying some more as you wait on God in the miry pit. Here's something he learned. That God begins to answer your prayer from the very moment you began to pray inside of that pit. And he continues weaving toward the solution with every prayer that you keep on praying as you wait on him in that suffering place. We learned this from another person in the Bible who also found himself in a pit, and he prayed. That's Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that Daniel had been praying quite a long time for himself and for his fellow Hebrew people who were in captivity in a foreign land, land of Babylon. 
God sent an angel eventually to Daniel as he was praying. And this is what the angel said to him. Verse 22, he says, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding, which by implication means that up to that point, Daniel had been praying and praying in a lot of darkness. He had no understanding of what was going on. He didn't have the insight about what's happening here. That's part of being in the pit sometimes. But listen to what he says in verse 23. I, 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 love, this, I love this statement. God says, the moment you began praying, Daniel, a command was given. God took action. God initiated the strategy that will ultimately bring you out of that horrible situation. And the angel goes on to say, and now I am here to tell you what it is. Listen to this. For you are very precious to God. You are very precious to God. Luke 18.1, Jesus said basically the same thing. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And then he went on to tell them this story about a judge who was very, very hard-hearted. I'm going to paraphrase it real quickly. And this, this judge, he kept refusing to hear this widow's case, her plea. But this woman would not leave him alone. She kept coming to him again and again and again. And finally, when he couldn't take it anymore, he finally said, okay, I'll listen to your case. It's almost like that scene in What About Bob, where uh, Dr. Marvin <laughs> has had Bob in his house, and you know, Bob's been pestering him, pestering him, he can't get rid of him. And he finally asked Bob to leave. Bob, he, he appears to leave, he goes out the door, but his family said, you made him leave. And, and he, Dr. Marvin says, Bob never leaves. He pulls open the door, and sure enough, there's Bob. Okay, now this is what this woman, this is how she was going after this, this cold-hearted judge. And finally the judge said, he, he gave her justice, he met the need. And then Jesus draws this point. He says, if this cold-hearted judge finally listened to this persistent woman, how much more can you be sure that your Father in heaven, who has a tender-hearted love for you, though you're going through a long, long trial in a pit, you can be sure that this God of love, from the moment you first came to him and began to pray, he, and, and he sees your persistence, he sees that you're not giving up, that same God is going to step in and meet your need. That is a promise straight from heaven. Straight from the heart of God to every one of us, just like it was to David. Jesus said, don't ever give up in your prayer. Don't give up. And then this is really what David says next. It leads to his, the next way God responded. Verse number two, it says, eventually, the Lord lifted me up out of that slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. The Lord answered the prayer. I want to illustrate that. My mother came to Christ when I was 11 years old, same time my dad did. She was the first one from her side of the family to come to Christ. My mom did not get raised in a house that, that was a church family, that was a Christian family. Uh, but when my mom came to Christ in her late 20s, 
she began to grow in her faith. She took it serious. And the bedrock of her faith became the living room table, the dining room table is what we call it, where almost every morning she would sit there and she would study God's word. And I mean study, underline. She was into it. She was highlighter and she was marking the pages and writing in the margins and keeping her notebooks. She devoured the scripture. She got into it. But the other thing she got into was some really serious praying. And a good part of her serious praying was for me and my two brothers and my two sisters that we would follow Christ. Now, I have made a commitment to Jesus when I was in third grade. I've told you that story before, and it was really real, just as a kid. But then in my junior, senior high years, I drifted away from that. And you know what? I became a trial for my mom. <laughs> okay. I became antagonistic toward God and the church. And I would, I would start arguments with my mom and my dad about faith and about God and about the Bible and about the way things were done at church. I would, and I had a good time doing it. I enjoyed it. Um, I was letting them know that I was not buying into all the God stuff that I had been taught all my life. Now, I know that some of the things I said during that three to four year period of time had to stab, stab my mom's heart, had to stab her down deep. Uh, I'm sure that in her private moments and in those times of prayer, that I brought some tears to her and a lot of grief and probably a lot of fear too, because what, what's gonna happen to Jimmy? What, what's going on with him? Where's he gonna end up here? And uh, she felt like at that time I was probably abandoning the faith that she had worked so hard to instill in me. And so I would say that um, I put my mom in a horrible pit, <laughs> a miry place, a place that looked pretty scary for her, where she felt sort of hopeless and helpless. But here's one thing I do remember this, that no matter what I said during that time, there is one thing that never changed or wavered in my mother's life. Over that period of four or five years, she prayed for me like crazy. <laughs> okay. She prayed for me. She prayed for me. She brought my name up to the Lord. And I don't know the exact words she used, but I'm sure there was something like this. Lord, go after him. Lord, speak to him. Lord, get hold of him. Wake him up. Jar him. Jolt him. Draw him to yourself. And so... For four or five years, she fought a spiritual battle for my life, and there was no other person on planet Earth who was praying so fervently for me as my mother. And then in October of my senior year of high school, I finally came back to the Lord. Uh, and prior to that, I, I always described myself as being one of the most miserable guys on the planet. And you know what? Sometimes... In the process, when someone's praying for you, uh, you, when the Holy Spirit's convicting a person, trying to bring them, trying to persuade them to come back to God, there's a lot of misery that goes with that because you're trying to keep a foot in both worlds. I had a respect, I had a respect for God, but I just didn't, I thought, God, back off a little bit. Man, I want to live my own life here. You live yours, I'll live mine. You know, that was sort of the thinking I had going at that time. Why do you have to be so, why do you, have to press in on me so much. 
Well, that's the way we are in our rebelliousness and sinfulness, isn't it? We're blind. Okay. Finally, uh, the Lord answered her prayer. And, all, and I can guarantee you that uh, I would not be here today doing what I'm doing if my mom hadn't fought a spiritual battle for me. I would not be here. So I'm grateful for it. Now, all I'm assuming is this. The point is this. When you wait on the Lord with trust that he is listening to your prayers, even when it seems hopeless, he will not fail. He will not fail you. And then we come to the verse number three. David speaks here of another response of God. And you know what? David, uh, like I said a little bit ago, he was a, he was a singer. He was a musician. He was an artist. And so the way, I love the way David phrases this next response of God. I think it's a beautiful picture. It goes like this. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise, <clears throat> gratitude, thanksgiving. I, I don't know what going uh, I've got something going up here. I'm not sure what it is, but you know what? Let's, let's slap this thing off. Here we go. We'll work this way. Um, verse number three. The point here is this, that during the trials, the fears, the sorrows, the losses, during that whole time in the pit, God was writing a new song that was uniquely David's to sing. And he does the same thing for you during your trial. God is not just sitting up there watching you suffer. He's composing a song that he's going to give you to sing on the other side of that horrible situation. And it's going to be, it's a song composed specifically for you. It's the, it's the story of you. There's never been another composition put together exactly like it. It's your song. And the scripture also teaches that when it uses this phrase, new song, it signals a new beginning in a person's life. It's a radical change from what has gone on before in that person's past. It's a work of God that you could call, in a person's life, that is a game changer. And you know what? Some of the most horrendous things we go through in this life, some of the most difficult things, if we trust God, that those very horrible moments are going to, God is going to use those to make them a game changer in our life and to bring us out of the other side of that thing a much stronger, a much deeper, a much a much more uh, well-grounded, solid person than we were before. He's going to come out and put our feet on, on the rock, on solid ground. He's going to make us strong. So David, so God put a song of praise and thanksgiving in David's mouth. And then David says, in the final part of verse number three, he says that many will see and fear what God has done for me. They're going to be amazed. They're going to be awestruck at how God delivered me. And you know what? They're also going to be awestruck at the, how David was able to maintain his faith even when he was in that horrible, horrible situation. So it's not only, it's not only the, it is not that people get amazed only by God's answer to prayer when that happens, but people also get amazed by the, by the tenacity of our faith before the answer came. And so here, here's the lesson this morning. I'm going to wrap this up. 
Everybody in this world suffers. Everybody in this world ends up in a horrible pit from time to time. Feel helpless and hopeless, trapped, being pulled down. So if there is a song that our world, the people around you, the, the, your family, your loved ones, if there is a song our world needs to hear, it is this. That suffering will always lead us to a new song of thanksgiving if we wait and trust the Lord. So if you're in a place this morning that feels hopeless, will you trust that the Lord is busy weaving a plan for you? Will you, will you trust that he is composing a song of thanksgiving that you're going to be singing on the other side of that horrible pit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. And Lord, thank you that you give us hope in this world, Lord. You give us, you put a new song in our mouths, a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving to the God who is with us in the good times and to the God who never abandons us and leaves us even in the most horrible of times. You are that God. And so, Lord, teach us and give us the strength to walk in faith to when we think we can't take another step, we cannot take another, another issue rising in our life, Lord. To know, Lord, that you're, the, you're our physical trainer right there. And you're saying, Jim, and you guys put your name in there. Can you go, can, can, you, can, you take, can you follow me this next leg of the journey? Can you keep going with me? Can you keep waiting and trusting? And Lord, may our answer be yes. Teach us, Lord, tenacity of faith and as Jesus, you said, to, to pray and never, 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 never give up and see what God is weaving, see what God is composing. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise that you have promised never to leave us and never to forsake us, but to bring us into that new place of thanksgiving that you have for us. So Father, we give you thanks for this this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' great and mighty name.